Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I am Dr. George Jesus Mesa, a clinical psychologist and collector of Chicano Latinx art. For generations, we have known of the healing powers of art at an individual and community level. Please join us as we interview prominent artists, collectors, curators, and influencers in the world of Chicano Latinx art. We will explore historical, regional, and political influences that impact Chicano Latinx art today. Along with our partners at www.latinoarte.com, we are preserving the colorful and rich history of Chicano Latinx art for future generations, one interview at a time. Please join us at Healing with Dr. George, The Power of Chicano Latinx Art, wherever you listen to podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. All right, we are ready to go on a Sunday, four minutes past noon Eastern Standard Time. It is Sunday, July 17th, 2022. 29th wedding anniversary for Ray, for Ray Longo, which means it's my 12th, I think. Uh, but more importantly, much more importantly, with all due respect, I don't celebrate wedding anniversaries. It's episode 357 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Looks like Ken Flo is still not in his native Charlotte, North Carolina. You're, uh, you're still in South Carolina there, kid, huh? I am. I am. I've been hanging here by the beach and uh, having a good time getting dark. Getting dark. Yeah, you look good. You look lean. The beard looks great. It looks like maybe there's a little fade going on with the beard. I'm not sure. Maybe a haircut recently, but you're looking outstanding. Uh, the Anakin Florian podcast today is presented in pot by UFC Fight Pass. See the best UFC Fight Pass has to offer on the Fight Pass 24-7 stream, offering a constant channel of historic fight action all day, all night. Tune in, sit back, and enjoy a network created by fans for fans. Step into our world. UFCFightPass.com. All right, 
quick flight back this morning from Long Island, New York, back in South Florida, and ready to recap uh, what was a pretty memorable UFC fight night and return to ABC. Kempo, I know my yellow jacket was too big, kid. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You know, uh, let me a little can get. Can we get John Anik a fitted? Can we? Can we just measure the guy and get him a fitted ABC coat, please? Come on. All right. Ken Flo, one of hundreds of people who took issue with the fit of my jacket. And hey, candidly, when I'm in the back in the dressing room, I'm like, oh, man, this thing's fucking huge. What are we going to do about this? But I kind of knew the day before, but I had a T-shirt on. And then, you know, I don't know, maybe it would have helped if I didn't run that morning. Right. But basically, 18 months ago, I went to our chief ESPN MMA executive, Glenn Jacobs. Uh, I think I sent him a, an image that a fan had created of me and Daniel Cormier in the gold jackets after they were retrotted out uh, for Monday Night Football. And I said, you know, I'm trying to get mixed martial arts and the UFC to get recognized like those sports. So yeah. to me, if anyone saw my reaction when I was presented with this jacket, this is a huge win for mixed martial arts to be able to be acknowledged in that way, to let us you know, honor those that have come before us in the broadcasting world, ABC wide world of sports, Jim McKay and everybody else, you know, Frank Gifford, Monday night football folks. Um, but I did think that when it was presented to us, that maybe there was going to be a tailor or something like that, you know, but it is what it is. I wore it the whole goddamn time. And uh, I really want to thank Glenn and everybody, Elizabeth on the ESPN MMA staff and everybody that, uh, that made that possible. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I got half the fan base coming at me. Didn't necessarily mean my my guy Ken Flo. No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> was that was that was that DC's like backup coat? Was that what it was? Like they made two for DC, and they're like, oh yeah, John, here here's right. one for you. Uh, no, like I dude, yeah. and candidly, when I look at the images, I'm like, holy, shit, that is big. <laughs> I could get it right now and put it on, but I wanted to uh, spare you the trouble. No, that's badass, dude. That's awesome. I I, I just want you to get a nice fitted coat like your pristine suits that you typically wear well i'm literally taking that abc blazer to my guy mark russell here in west boca Raton, florida he's going to cut it up um you know with one of those uh you know modern era fits it's amazing like a modern suit the way it comes on you the way some of these guys the really elite tailors it doesn't come on your back it like comes down on top of your fucking shoulders you know I feel like sometimes I look like a goof with the pants like halfway up my shin. But Kempo was ahead of his time doing that in like 2007. So, yep. Kid walking into oh, ESPN man. is fashion forward. Guy Kenny is very fashion forward, folks, by the way. Uh, used this to be, is not maybe. how I intended to leave the show. Yeah. All right. UFC fight night, Ortega versus Rodriguez. What a memorable live event. Brand new arena there in Elmont, New York. And, uh, Everything was going swimmingly until uh, this shoulder injury, but I think there's a lot more to it than maybe meets the eye. So uh, Yaya Rodriguez over Brian T. City Ortega, TKO due to a shoulder injury at 411 of round one. Uh, Kempo, your thoughts on the sequence and, uh, and everything else? Yeah, listen, I, I thought um, it was really heating up to be a great fight. Both men, as expected, uh, were moving forward, were aggressive, were staying busy, were showing uh, their heart and their determination and their skill uh, right from the outset. So I, I was super excited about the fight as it was going on. Um, and they got caught in, in kind of a funky situation. It was actually a, a pretty beautiful takedown uh, by Brian Ortega that was initiated up against the cage. Yair Rodriguez had one of those arms wrapped up in, an, in a very tight overhook as he was trying to defend the takedown. Uh, Ortega got on top. Um, and as Ortega was almost trying to get into side control, to me, Ortega was wrapping up with his left arm, was wrapping up Ortega's right arm, 
and was quickly trying to transition into a shoulder lock. He had one knee across, so didn't have one leg up against uh, up up on the ribs, but he did have that other leg, the back of his knee, up on the head. He was framing and pushing away on Ortega as Ortega was trying to alleviate the pressure either on the elbow or on the shoulder. Uh, to me, because of the way that uh, Yair had the arm wrapped, you could see that his arm was kind of twisted, similar to an Americana or a paintbrush lock, uh, which puts pressure on the shoulder and not the elbow. It can affect the elbow a little bit, but primarily uh, the pressure is on the shoulder. As Ortega tried to rip out of it, uh, and because he has a weak shoulder already, his shoulder dislocated. Now, I think it should be a submission for Yair. For Yair. Why? Well, yes, Ortega's shoulder was probably compromised, uh, but I don't think that uh, dislocation would have happened without that attempt at the arm lock from Yair Rodriguez. Now, typically, right. that is not a submission that is often finished, right? Just like uh, attempting a Kimura on bottom from half guard typically is one that is not finished. But it was finished nonetheless. Um, I had a shoulder separation that I dealt with for probably a year and a half, two years. Uh, and little things would cause it to come out of place. Yeah. I didn't have any medical insurance at the time and just had to deal with it. Um, you know, I know he's had surgeries on that shoulder, but right. again, it didn't happen because Ortega threw a punch and his shoulder came out of place. Like what happened with Korean zombie. It was a direct result of what Yair was doing to Brian Ortega. So th that's why I, I would argue that it was a submission win um, for, for Yair as, as weird as it was. You articulated it beautifully, and I'm going to read the text message that you sent me. And I do wonder, by the way, if the roles were reversed and if these guys weren't great friends, if Brian Ortega was the one uh, who had, you know, been on the winning side mm. of this, so to speak, if he would have gotten more credit or maybe would have said, hey, you know, this was an arm entanglement. And uh, but Kenny texted me that that was a subdued arm entanglement caused the dislocation, in my humble opinion, wasn't an easy one to notice, but definitely seemed to cause that dislocation. And, you know, I am curious if maybe Joe Rogan or Dominic Cruz, you know, guys who just love jujitsu analysis might have sort of gone in that direction. You never know in a three man booth, you know, who might have suggested that on the broadcast, which, of course, is neither here nor there. Uh, but Yair didn't say anything really about this post fight, I don't believe. And I do have a quote I want to read from Brian Ortega to get your thoughts on it, if I fucking may. Uh, the grip was tight on my arm and it dislocated. That was it. No arm lock, no nothing. It was dislocated freak accident. And it just sucks. First time it's ever happened in my career. Uh, just taken aback by it. Uh, I do think there's more to it than that. You know, I feel horribly, obviously, for Brian Ortega. There was a torn labrum in that right shoulder. Um, but to your point, you know, this is all part of the game, right? Durability. You know, Sean O'Malley will be criticized for his lack of durability at times, you know. People certainly don't want to criticize Brian Ortega, who has already had yeah. multiple shoulder surgeries and might need another one. Um, what are your thoughts on what Brian has to say about it and, and how, I guess, you think they'll proceed given this sort of weird result? It's tough because there's a lot of motions going on when you're in something like that. And the fight was going his way there uh, as he initiated the takedown. And then the fight was over immediately after that. That's got to be a hard pill to swallow uh, after putting in so much work for a camp like Ortega has and dealing with those sho uh, shoulder injuries. But I think the key phrase, if I were to take it out, out of that, would be the grip was tight on my arm, <laughs> right? I, the grip was tight on my arm indicates that um, he couldn't, uh, remove the arm on his free will, right? Yair was there wrapping that arm up. So to me, that indicates that 
you know, he didn't think it was an arm lock, but it was tapped. It was wrapped tight around his shoulder. He went to rip it out and he, I guess, injured himself. But again, uh, with any submission, there has to be two willing partners, right? Two willing participants in that exchange. There's yeah. one who is trying to submit, who's trying to wrap up, who was actually trying to go for an arm lock. Doesn't mean it's a high percentage move, but he was right. trying to go for an arm lock. And I think in Ortega's mind, he's like, that's not a move that typically submits me or anybody else. I was looking to just try to get out of that. My shoulder was already compromised. It came out of place. Now, same thing. It's like, um, I don't know, in, in that Connor. Uh, situation where Connor was kicking Dustin Poirier and supposedly there was already some damage uh, to Connor's leg there. Connor went to kick it, you know, I guess it got uh, clipped on Dustin Poirier's elbow. I don't know. Did Connor do that to himself or did Dustin Poirier do that? You know, did Chris Weidman right. uh, break uh, Anderson Silva's leg or did Anderson Silva do that to himself? You know, it, it takes two people in order yeah. to do that. Right. That block is effective for a reason. You block with your elbow and forearm, you know, sometimes uh, yeah. to, to be effective, to, to, to take away a, a kick. And the same way, you know, you attack an arm in that same manner. It's not like Yair wasn't trying to control that arm. He was absolutely trying to control that arm and threaten Ortega with something. And that led to a shoulder dislocation as, as weird uh, as, as it is. If I'm Ken Flo's agent, I'm taking those last seven minutes, putting it on real and just being like, what? So Izzy Martinez says to Yair Rodriguez after the fight, you got to call for a title shot. And he really didn't do that. And I think part of that is rooted in his friendship uh, with Brian Ortega. I think part of it is rooted in something that you sort of alluded to, that in the moment, maybe Yair didn't give himself as much credit as he deserved. You know, there was obviously two parts in all of this. Um, Josh Emmett has... A role in all of this and I think some people would argue that this was a great result for Josh Emmett to have something like this happen and have grounds for some sort of Rodriguez Ortega rematch Alexander Volkanovsky is obviously going to need time to heal uh, from his thumb injury hmm. so I don't know what's going to happen you know I am certainly more in favor of interim titles than most of the fan base but Volkanovsky is one or one a in terms of being the number one pound for pound fighter in the sport and if he can defend a belt you know six months after I don't know that there's a need for an interim situation I also don't know with Josh Emmett's face if he's going to be ready as soon as Yair Rodriguez is going to be um any thoughts on what they're going to be because or what they're going to do I should say because you know oh, oh hey, long ago oh shit Woo! man scared the crap <laughs> Kenny, I don't, Kenny, I don't know how he does it. I'll be honest. I witnessed it last night. I don't know how he does it. He's a savage. Man. No, he He's really is. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that both of you survived the dinner uh, and and wine from last night. It looked no, tremendous. No. I was so jealous. I wish yeah, I was no, there. That no, looked no, absolutely no. delicious and a lot of fun. No, let me tell you something. I had an absolutely great time with these guys. You know, it was great, great catching up, and the buff was out of control. I know. That's, I mean, I tell you, every everybody the loves buff's the buff. Buff's got a buff, dude. The oh yeah, buff's yeah. got a buff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he was man. The people, everybody loves the buff, right, John? He was a big hit oh, last everybody night. Everybody loves the buff. There is no <laughs> doubt about it. Even the buff. Even the yeah, buff. He loves the buff. The buff. <laughs> what was the name of uh? What was it? What was the name of the establishment that we were at last night? Uh, Passions. Some of the best Italian food I have had in my oh, 44 so years on this planet. Oh. I obviously wasn't eating a lot of it early in my life, but 
it was outstanding. We ordered uh, an obscene amount of food. You got to meet Cody Merrill for the first time. Which yeah, is crazy, right? We all feel like we know each other and talk yeah. to each other, obviously, on a weekly basis. It wasn't that many hours ago. Um, yeah. yeah, Buff's out of his skull. I mean, again, no, no, like, we, if he gets a... married, I'm going to be one of the groomsmen. That's how close we are. But the dude's out of his skull. I mean, <laughs> I... we go to your gym afterwards, right? Oh, it was crazy. Just trying to you know, have a moment. Dude's fucking lifting weights. And oh, yeah, turn around, he's doing sit-ups, he's curling. Uh, I mean, I don't know what was going on. It was like 11 o'clock at night. A guy was he had energy for days. I, I thought John and Bruce were going to have a sparring match in the cage over I, at, it, uh, it, at the it, gym. I would have, I would have picked Anik by armbar round one. That's what oh, I, I don't know. Kenny, I signed to NDA, so let's move on. Okay, oh, I want to see video. I just want to see video. But we I did think- have a sparring session. You can see my face. Not a scratch on it. <laughs> but I tell you, Kenny, they rolled out the red carpet for us. It was a That's great, awesome. really a great night. That really ended I was going to say, no Walter idea. walks into this restaurant and you'd think he's the godfather. I People mean, you'd think moving. that this guy yeah. is the most important man <laughs> on the entire Long Island. <laughs> yeah, you know, all the food one of gets delivered yeah. within three minutes of us being in there. All these comp appetizers are oh, crazy. The table. Obviously, you know, Buff, Buff commands some VIP treatment, and uh, no, without sure he was uh, deep throating cameos and Yes, I tell you, but shout out, shout out to Emilio. Thank you very much, buddy, for the hospitality. The food was outstanding. I I don't, I don't even eat like that, man. It was crazy, but I couldn't stop eating. That's the problem. But uh, yeah, even, it was it was uh, it was really good. Uh, and so was this UFC fight night. A lot of people yep. were bemoaning the fact that Ray Longo chose not to attend. Yeah, that was a mistake, I guess. But the, here's the deal. So I have I have guys fighting on the contender, right? So it was like the last sparring. Right. You can't Priorities. abandon. You know, for me, it, that's the way I do it. You can't abandon ship, and you have to show them that you have to make sacrifices too. So if I jump out to the UFC, where I look like an idiot. Yeah. Like all of a sudden everything's on the back burner. But, you know, these guys want the contracts and I wanted to be there for them. And that's it. Yeah. That's the way it rolls. Dennis Bazooka, July 26th at the UFC Apex. Followed. Yes. Dennis Bazooka next uh, week from Tuesday and followed by oh, no. Charlie wow. Campbell, then followed by uh, Nassim Sadikov. So and, we got uh, three right before the fight for you on Sunday when you arrive is to check that uh, that Palace Station mattress with bed bugs. Oh, uh, I'm not even touching that draw for the host. I'm not, hotel I'm not touching. <laughs> um, we, all, we have Aljo's house too, Aljo and Mirage. Oh, that's so right. I think we'll right. be in good shape. Yeah. All right. So let us uh, dive in a little bit. By the way, I know people don't like some of our listeners want it to be all MMA and don't want me to talk about your appearance. He isn't this tan in person, folks. I mean, I don't know if it's your your camera light. I mean, you look great in person. And happy wedding anniversary, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Sounds like a bigger deal for you and your wife than me and mine. Uh, I, I don't think so. Well, you're, <laughs> well, you're trying. I mean, you're, I'm not trying to celebrate necessarily, and neither yeah. is she. It seems like oh, you guys wow. might be something festive, you know. That's all. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. You got to keep, got to keep it real, John. You know. All right. Well, and, let um, us get into this because we were talking about it with Kenny, and I guess before we spin it forward in terms of what they do with Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett. And I guess it's like an unanswerable question because you don't know who's healthy. Um, right. I'd like to see both of them get a championship opportunity, but I think it's kind of weird to do an interim. Um, but what were your thoughts on the main event? Because Ken Flo sort of feels like it should have been a submission for Yair Rodriguez and not a TKO due to a shoulder injury. 
Uh, oh, that's interesting. I know. Well, you he, almost have to listen back. I don't need him to recount it, but Kenny, can you give him the abridged version? But, I mean, what was it? He was pulling out of an arm bar? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, you know, it probably wouldn't have happened if, if he wasn't, if his arm wasn't wrapped up the way it was, you know. Um, you know, that, it's a weird one, but that's it, a, that's, again, it's a direct result of Yair wrapping up the shoulder. You know, that was my argument. Anyway. That's that's if he went in there with a healthy shoulder. That's the other thing. But I, I see your point. I guess it'd be a six or one half a dozen. The other. I don't know if that's a big deal, but you're right, though. He did pull out of that, and then he just rolled to his back. Yeah, it's a tricky thing in terms of, uh, you know, how to proceed with guys who win a fight when there's an injury involved. But, you know, the more I listen to Kenfo, the more I, you know, feel like a Yair Rodriguez title shot would not be uh, would would not be an issue. Uh, well, you know? listen, I wouldn't have an issue with it no matter what happened. I mean, the guy right. definitely warrants a title shot either way. They both do. You know, yeah, but one yep. guy already had one. I think, you know, just to keep it fresh. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, you really want to be fair. Rodriguez against Emmett, to win a guaranteed title shot. Yeah, but then, yeah, it's just easier said than done. You know, you like, I, you're right. That's the fight. But ugh, I don't know. Maybe you just throw an interim belt on it. Um, Hey, so when we saw you last night, you had not seen Matt Schnell and Sumu Darji. You've I seen did. That fight I now. watched it when I got home. Yeah. Wow. That was wacky. <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the incredible part was. <laughs> The way he, his lights kind of went out and how quick he recovered four or five times in a row. Like he got stumbled once that looked bad. Then the guy, and he slipped like it was nothing was going on. Like he was totally present. You know, it wasn't like he shelled up until maybe the end, but I I don't know what the heck I was looking at. Man, that guy, because he got rocked, like it was very obvious and very, um, you know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but man, did he recoup right away? That yes, was, that right was away. insane. Yeah. Like right away. Code. You know, Co Cody all fucking night. And he bet on Sumu Darji and I love you, Cody, but all night he's just banging on the drum that Jacob Montalvo should have stopped this fight. And I yeah. thought Schnell recovered expeditiously every single time. Like I didn't yeah. think there was any time where Montalvo could have stepped in there. What do you think about that? Kenny? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to Cody about the same thing. Listen, I, I think he was hurt. He was rocked. But again, the result kind of indicates that they shouldn't have stopped the fight, right? Yeah. I mean, Chanel was able to come back. He he did recover well enough. Sumo In instantly. Sumo didn't put him out enough to where I would say, okay, get the heck in there, ref. Um, he, he allowed him to survive. You know, th that ref, um, you know, ha I've seen some issues with him in the past. I, I didn't have a problem. Uh, with this call in this fight, uh, I thought Schnell showed an insane amount of heart coming back oh. like he did. And he exposed Sumadarji. You know, that, that was one of the things we talked about last week. Is Sumadarji is a tremendous striker. There's a lot of power for that weight class. But boy, is he basic on the ground. Uh, and, and Schnell just completely exposed him there. But uh, what a fight, dude. That was nuts. Yeah. And I'll tell you, John, to me, the visual of like when he got elbowed, that visual was brutal, but it was a split second. And then he was back. Like yeah, it was, exactly. that was the weird part. You, it was like two extremes. The visual of him buckling was huge, but then he got back just as quick. So you couldn't really, you could stop it if you wanted to say, I, I don't like the way he's buckling after those shots, but he definitely, as far as recovering and doing what they tell you, what the ref will tell you, if you keep moving, if you listen to my commands, I'm not going to stop the fight. And he a hundred percent, Check that box off. Yeah. Right. Nicely so, put. This yeah, was you know. like 
Shades of Darren Elkins, Mursad Bekdich for me. Just the rally of all rallies for Schnell. And if you know the backstory, yeah. him losing his mom before his previous fight that did produce a bonus, but produced a two-minute loss, right, in a huge spot for him. They turned him around quickly. And if this one doesn't go his way and he doesn't come back, you know, maybe it's a performance bonus for Sumu Darji. And he's got a baby boy on the way. I mean, this is a total career changer. And, mm. you know, to see a guy be be that desperate, I think it speaks to training hard and being conditioned. And well, a, I just don't know that if you're not in the shape of your life, you can survive shots from one of the more powerful guys in the division. And no, I was no really, John, you're dead on. He had to be in fantastic shape because. Even worse, when they interviewed him, he, he, he admittedly said, I remember nothing. Yeah. So he's on autopilot. And that, only, that only comes from really being in superb shape. And yeah. he's been in those positions before where his body's dealt with it, I guess, because the way he came back was, was instantly to me. It was like kind of crazy. Just when you yeah. want to say maybe they should die. He's yeah. back in there. You know what I mean? It was exactly that. That was, that was the crazy part. So yeah, what that, I'm glad I went back and watched that. Uh, hats off to Mac, Mac Snell. That was absolutely phenomenal. Really good kid. And, uh, really happy to see him shine in, in a huge moment. And, uh, it just needed it in the worst way. Uh, and Sue's got some recovering to do, but, uh, yeah, and the general safe Saud, Cody just mentioning in the chat, just murdering it in the corner as usual. And Dana White did say that uh, there's an extra check in the mail for Matt Schnell, who was hoping to get $100,000 awesome. in bonus. Yeah. Probably get something close to that. Um, all right, I want to get to Shane Burgos and Charles Air Jordan, a majority decision for Hurricane Shane. Remarkable how much this guy's competed in New York, right? 11 UFC fights, seven in New York. He has a huge fan base, and I think some of that in part. You know, I asked him in the fighter meeting, like, bro, how come they let you fight at home all the time? He's like, maybe I sell tickets, you know? And it's like, yeah, dude, like loudest ovation of the night. I mean, this dude got a pop, uh, 29, 28 times two, and then 28, 28. Ken Flo, we'll start with you on Burgos and, uh, Charles air Jordan in the fight that had uh, a little bit of everything. Yeah, it sure did. It was a real exciting fight. Um, I thought that Jordan, uh, had a lot of opportunities to go out there, not only tap out, but, um, you know, just, yeah give up and he did not and he was in some really tough spots um and burgos i i thought that um i don't know it seemed like he uh, had a very specific game plan to try to take that fight to the mat and clearly was was the better grappler in that fight but um i don't think he was trusting his striking either that or he has regressed as a striker i i don't i don't know what was going on there but um, and, and I hope it has nothing to do with that brutal knockout that he suffered from a few fights ago. But either way, um, I thought he was a little inefficient. He was wasting a lot of energy on the back, um, which I think tired him out. Uh, not to mention those body shots uh, that he was eating from Jordan. Um, you know, that doesn't help either. Uh, but what a fight, man. I, I know that Burgos was a little disappointed, um, but I think the disappointment probably lies a little bit more in, in his approach uh, and in, in his inefficiency. But still, anytime you get a win like that over a dude who's as dangerous as Jordan, I think um, that, that's a that's a big one. Um, and I think Jordan is going to continue uh, to be a fan favorite. Um, he is a guy who's always looking for the kill. A lot of offense, um, a lot of craziness, but a, a lot of offense as well and a lot of heart. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, his future is going to be secured. I think he's going to be he's going to continue uh, to get better. 
and I think fans are just going to get behind that kid more and more. Red Longo. Yeah, no, I listen, I, I love Burgos. I love his style. Uh, but anytime a guy like that gets outstruck like 120 to 20, that that's not a good look for what he that's what he does, man. That guy's a savage. You know, he's got a great chin. But I I thought, look, Jordan came out frantic, looked like he was fighting scared, like it just didn't look good. And by the end of the, the in the middle of the second round, he turns it around. I think he starts to come back. Then Burgos took it back in the second again. But then Jordan, huge third round, huge, huge third round. So that's one of those things they got to really look at for the scoring because obviously damage-wise, Jordan won that fight. There's no question about it, right? And I, it's almost like wrestling. When it's even, there's an advantage maybe. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But they, don't they do something where the guy you, you give the guy to win based on something else? Like that seemed like that type of fight to me where, all right, we have it like this, but that third round, almost like the way Pride used to score. Obviously, Pride rules, that's an easy fight to score. Jordan wins that fight easy, I would think, right? Kenny, if it's Pride, the way they score in Pride? I, I, I yeah. think so. Yeah, I mean, they had one 10-minute round the first time. And right, right. Round but, after, but it's but really, yeah, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, Who's finishing stronger? I mean, I just was... Uh, was a crazy look to see, and I and I love Shane Burgos. I mean, I really do. But I thought the other guy edged that fight out. Yeah, but a hard fight to score. One ref, one ref had it a ten eight for for Jordan in that. Yeah, in that so we're third gonna round, right? we're gonna get yeah. into all the judging stuff. And TSN MMA reporter and content editor Aaron Bronstetter is going to join us here in about ten minutes, and assuredly we are going to have more with uh, with him on this whole scoring situation. Um, but largely I'm aligned with Ray and I would apologize to Shane and Ryan Burgos if they're listening, because I think Ryan Burgos said something on Instagram. Uh, and Ryan, by the way, the younger brother of Shane, who's going to be an absolute animal. First time in this fight, total savage. Um, but he sort of felt like Charles after the fact, didn't think himself, Jordan, that he had won. Um, I kind of thought Jordan won the fight. Now, Mike Bell, I think, is one of the better judges in mixed martial arts. He had round one, 10-9 for Jordan. I thought that round was close. Largely, right. I did give it to Jordan. I didn't think the late takedown and control was enough for Shane Burgos, if right. I'm remembering that round correctly. Round two, he had 10-8 for Shane Burgos. And to me, every time a judge scores a 10-8, in some part, I credit them for actually taking their testicles out and putting them on the fucking table, right? Because it does take balls to score rounds consistently 10-8, right? And because those are going to be scrutinized or they're going to be looked at, right? I talked to Mike Bell after the fact, right? I feel like you had to go 10-8 for Jordan in round three. Totally dominant round. And Mike Bell said after the fact to me, and I hope he's okay with me admitting this, that he probably should have gone 10-8 on that third round. But I do think it's hard, Kenny, when you're in that judge's seat, you've scored one round 10-8, you know, to pull out your balls again and go 10-8 the other way in round three. The Eesh. only way we're going to affect change and really get away from a tiny, tiny gap in a 10-9 round and a pronounced gap in a 10-9 round is being liberal with 10-8. And in this fight, Ken Flo, I don't know if you thought Burgos's effective grappling in round two was enough for a 10-8. Um, I saw two 10-8 rounds based upon my interpretation in this fight. It's quite possible. Um, I'm not sure I was thinking that, if I'm being honest, in real time. Not that I'm I wasn't in it. real time either. Yeah, but in, yeah, exactly. In, in round two, I don't know if I had it a 10-8 for, for Burgos. 
Um, I thought I thought Burgos won round one as well. Uh, okay. So and then and then I thought ten eight. If there was a ten eight that was going to be uh, thrown out, it would be for Jordan in round three. Now, a, a judge shouldn't give a shit about perception, right? Of what the fans are going to think or the fact that a ten eight round is rare. Uh, fans or promoters or commissioners. It, it, it either right. It either is or it isn't. So if he sees a ten eight in round two and he sees a ten eight in round three the other way. Then it is what it is. You don't do that because oh, this is a rare thing. I'm not going to do this. Like it, that shouldn't have any um, influence in his decision. So I agree with you there. I'd, ha I'd have to go back and really watch that, but um, I, I think you make a valid point there, John. And I think it's an interesting uh, study for a lot of you know fans, uh, you know analysts, and 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 judges alike to really study that fight because that that's one of the few that could potentially warrant it, yeah. right? Uh, first off, hats off to Bell for even being honest. I mean, I oh, think he's that I'm going to tell you that's going to get him. I be, I don't care if he's right or wrong. You know what I mean? The fact that he even was willing to talk and said, "I'm already a fan," you know. But uh, if you gave round two a ten eight, then round three a hundred percent was a ten eight. Oh, I, yeah. I think that's the reason for giving the ten eights is that the guy has a chance to come back and do that. You know, he right. probably thinks I got a ten eight. You know, like his corner could tell him that could have been a 10-8 round. Makes him go out and really want to do a 10-8 round himself. So you got to reward the guy for that. Yeah. Bottom line, right? Yeah. Um, and back to the other thing. One of the things I love about Shane Burgos is I, I knew he would say this, too. He was unhappy with his performance. He did yeah, think right. he won, which is fine. But he's a fucking – he's one of those blue-collar guys. He's not – bullshit and he's not fucking screaming like it that's what i love about him but you i knew he was going to say he was unhappy with that performance yeah because we all see the way he fights we know right. the way he fights and he's yeah. not happy about that third round that's what he does to people you know yeah. what i mean so yep tricky fight that's a fight you should go back and you know for the next judging uh right. seminar right. you do no, that sure that's interesting but the problem though john is that it's subjective and that these guys it, there's certain guys you just can't even argue with. There's, they always have an answer for everything, and they'll have an answer for that. You know, right. so if that was a 10-8, then Aljo's round against Jan was 100% a 10-8. Well, of course. You see, and that's the I problem. Think, like the problem No, but with, I do think that we, we will, we'll get back to a point, if we're not there already, where that round will absolutely unequivocally be a 10-8. I mean, yeah, that I much mean, came to light in that seminar. We watched that round, and the conclusion of the room was that that was a 10-8. There's no question about it. No question it, about you know, it. Right. Here's, you know, here's the problem, though, John. So, right. So, you have people saying it's not a 10 8, but then I think, and I'm, I'm correct, I'm, I'm not really sure this, but, the, but I think it was the following week or two, whatever it was, Patchy Mix, I believe, was the fight. He had a guy's back, and McCarthy goes, that's definitely a 10 8. So, you can't tell me there's not like some sort of favorite that it's the same shit. Aljo did more damage. You no can't doubt. have it, you can't have it both ways. So, Kenny, you know the I mean? reason that I am not thinking about this in real time is just it's a crazy fight. And sometimes in a relatively close fight, you'll hear us talk about the judging and other times we just won't. So that was part of the reason why I wasn't thinking about it in real time. The other thing, too, is when you have an effective grappling round like we had in round two. Uh, and again, the three D's that everybody's looking for, dominance, duration and damage. We can't quantify damage in grappling the way we can in striking. But as far as I'm concerned, what I've learned from people like you when Burgos has a body triangle for four minutes and the other dude can do nothing about it, you know, we can't quantify the damage and what that could do to Jordan moving forward. Yeah, he fought a great third round, 
But I feel like, yes, it's easier to see the 10-8 for Jordan in round three than the 10-8 for Burgos in round two. Um, but if, if that's not a round two, for if that's not a 10-8 for Shane, yeah. I mean, like, what else you got to do as a grappler then to get a 10-8? You know, right. Well, I I would say I would say a lot of it is indicative. Of like, if you hit me with a shot and I stumble and it looks like I'm stepping in potholes, like Matt Schnell when he got hit with those elbows, you can see that that's tremendous amount of damage, right? You can see the effect on my body. If let's say I get up from a body triangle after being in it for four minutes and I'm stumbling around and I'm exhausted, my hands are dropping, my mouth is open. I'm, that's taking an effect on my body because I had to carry you as a backpack you know, and deal with the body triangle that was restricting my ribs and my breathing. And, and that's an, that could have been like maybe pushed it to that next level. But in round three, when you look, and again, this is where you kind of have to wait to see, did it did it have an effect on the fight? In round three, Jordan looked like he was perfectly fine. He was, right. he threw, it seemed like he threw a thousand strikes in that round, right. you know? So did that have enough damage on his body? I don't know. And what are we talking about damage? Are we talking about, uh, damage to the joint because an elbow. Are we talking about a submission right. lock that popped the knee? Are we talking about striking from the mount? Are we talking about striking from the back mount? Are we just talking about control? Because I don't know. I and I'm a jujitsu guy, but if I sit there right. and I control you and I don't do anything to you, is that damage necessarily? No, it's dominance, absolutely dominance. But is it damage? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think, John, the thing that I think I misinterpreted what I said a couple of weeks ago is like, have the fighters tell you what damage is or what they think damage is. Nobody's looking to change the rules. That wasn't it. The rules are in place. But if you don't know, you know, what something feels like, how do you know how much damage it is? That That's all I was getting at with that. You know what I mean? So this week I was supposed to do. I was supposed to do something for the UBS arena where they brought down journalists that were unfamiliar with the sport and just introduce them to MMA. But one of the things I was going to do was have uh, one of my guys put a guy, you know, in that, 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 um, you know, the body lock, uh, right. Body the figure four, whatever. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? So just so they feel it, you know yeah. what I mean? Like right. it's, it's right. exhausting. Right. It really right. is. And right. if you can't get out of something, it's like, you know, if you can't get out of the mount, Eventually, they got to stop the fight. Like, you're showing no promise to improve your position. What are they going to do? Whether the, you know, wherever those punches are going, it's only a matter of time till they start coming through. But you can't win the fight like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's the same thing with that body triangle. There's, like Kenny says, there's, it, it's, it's, it's not just what it looks like. It's not, damage isn't always, uh, you know, getting punched in the face or seeing All a right. cut. You know what I mean? Damn. Maybe the guy's fucking yeah. gallbladder was squished into his right. liver and he can't right. breathe anymore. That's damage. You know well, what and I mean? it's not but, as though there were not submission attempts. I mean, Burgos was credited, I believe, with like three submission attempts. And at one point in that fight, Jordan had to work pretty hard. Um, all right. I want to save some of that for Aaron Bronstetter because he is actually going to be attending some sort of commission meeting in Niagara Falls in about a week's time uh, that regrettably I cannot attend uh, because I'm going to be at Fenway Park with my children. Beautiful. Um, anything else, Ray Longo, before I let you go? I know Jack and Richard Shore spent some time uh, at oh, your yeah. gym. Ricky Simone is one of my favorite fighters in the world. I think he's one of the best bantamweights in the world. And uh, to beat Jack Shore like that is pretty impressive. I don't know if you saw that prelim, but uh, I feel like Ricky Simone's the real deal and deserves a little shine. I did see that fight. And again, those guys, you know, stopped by the gym. They did a couple of workouts. The kid looked great. 
they're just really salt of the earth, nice people. You know, you're coming all the way over from Wales, you know, like again, like what I told them and I tell everybody, it's like when I'm traveling with the guys and we get treated like gold at a gym, I, I love to give back. I mean, literally they could have the key to the gym and come in whenever they want just to make them yeah. comfortable. It's a different continent. You know, you're flying across the world. It's, it's absolutely crazy. So uh, unfortunately, it didn't go uh, his way, but they, they're great guys. I hope they had a great time, you know, great yeah. experience in New York. And, and that's it. And shout out to Laura Murphy also who used the gym. And she's got just a great team behind it, just nice people. And that's part of the sport I love, man, just meeting new people and chilling out and hanging out at this point anyway. You know, going out to eat with my friends, Kenny, you know. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kenny, I swear to God, it's the little things. I really I, I really mean that. I, I had a fantastic time last night because I'm always in the gym and, you know, or doing something like that. But this that was very relaxing. It was great yeah. catching up with everybody. Yeah. I have a lot yeah. of intel on Ray. He had a Grey Goose uh, with cranberry juice. Uh, he left most of his entree on the plate, but we had a couple pizzas and several appetizers oh, man. before we began indulging. Um, but Longo is a save room for dessert guy because he had uh, quite a bit of dessert, and now he's going to black out. Just Cody, like just me. Get rid of him just like, like that. Me. I mean, that is something else. But uh, you saved some room for dessert. Now I can't hear you, Ray. So this might be a good time for us to tell you to uh, to just pound sand. We love you. Can you hear us? All right, we can't hear you. We love you, um, but I think Cody's gonna kind of like come on here in a little bit, Ray. Um, I'm sorry, Ray Longo, the Ray Longo minute every week here uh, on the Anakin Florian podcast. All right, we are gonna go right back to the three box, the three wide receiver set as we welcome in TSN mixed martial arts reporter extraordinaire Aaron Bronstetter. AB, it's good to see your face on a Sunday afternoon. What's good, my man? What's up, fellas? You know, you mentioned the Grey Goose and Cranberry Juice, and he immediately blacked out. He just blacked out just like that. <laughs> I, know, I, know, it. I know. Yeah, they, you see, you, you always have the quicker whip than me. There's right. no way I would go head-to-head with you on Remember the Show, the podcast <laughs> with Bilal Muhammad and my twin brother on this channel. I know you've been on it, um, and I think you're like the MVP in like the one-year-plus of that. I would never go head-to-head with you. I'll go head-to-head against They never invited me back, though. Get your brother on the phone. Get below on the phone and tell them to remember the Bronstead or bring me back. <laughs> I, remember I the bro. A, I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, you might have your own segment called that in the not too distant future, but you might get a call on Thursday. So I'm sure your wife and your children are going to be, uh, you know, a little compromised on Thursday. All right. So much to get into. By the way, in terms of this seminar, um, what is it exactly? It's not a seminar, I guess. It's a meeting. What is it exactly? When is it? And uh, what do you have for us on that before we move on? Yeah, sure. So the Association of Boxing Commissions, which oversees many of the state commissions in the United States, and I believe they also put together makeshift uh, commissions overseas when certain countries don't have them. They host an annual conference, and it just so happens to be two hours away from me in Niagara Falls, New York. So I'm going to make the drive down there. And they have refereeing courses, judging courses. I'm only able to stay for two of the days. So Saturday, they have the refereeing courses. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to miss a, a bunch of UFC London as a result. And then Sunday is the judging course. So I'm going to stay for those two days. And then after that, there's all kinds of different, there's a conversation about open scoring that I believe Dean Thomas is involved in. Yes. Uh, there's closing ceremonies. Um, I believe there's all kinds of different events over the course of four or five days that the commissions host. Thankfully, again, very close to me. So I'm happy to be able to go down and take a course on refereeing and judging. I think it's going to be very valuable for my career professional development. 
I just flew back to Florida this morning with Dean Thomas, and um, we talked about that very thing. We talked a lot about open scoring. I expressed some of my concerns, but he's pretty bullish on it. Um, well, that'll be interesting, and I think it'll be eye-opening, and uh, you can always watch London on the backside. So I want to start, if I could, with the main event between Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. Obviously anticlimactic. Um, and Kenny, I don't need you to go through the whole spiel, but Kenny sort of felt like this should have been a submission win for Yair Rodriguez. And, uh, you know, I encourage the fan base to go back and watch the first eight minutes or so of this podcast. Um, but, A.B., before you chime in, Ken Flo, can you give me 20 seconds uh, as to why you feel the way you do? Yeah, uh, my my argument is the fact that, you know, that probably, yes, Ortega's shoulder is probably compromised, but again, I don't think that would have happened if that shoulder wasn't being torqued in that manner. Uh, Yair was framing on the head, he was framing on the body with his knee as well, which was torquing the shoulder of, uh, or, of Ortega as he was trying to pull his arm out of there. Why was he trying to pull his arm out of there? Because it was uncomfortable and torquing his shoulder. Um, and, you know, that that's that's what you know, led to the injury of the shoulder. So yeah, uh, I, I, again, a weird injury. Absolutely. A weird submission. Absolutely. Uh, it was a direct, direct result of a year attempting something uh, of a hold on Ortega. Yes. Right. And Aaron, he also said that in real time, you know, not the easiest thing to pick up, but you know, he has certainly opened up minds and everybody who has heard him say that from Dean Thomas to Ray Longo kind of starts to subscribe to that line of thinking. So I don't know how much noise that noise there was about that last night while I was calling the fights, but just wanted to get your two cents on that. Well, I'm going to hot take Kenny back on this one because I actually think you can make a better case and people are going to crush me for this. So I'm, I'm putting my neck out here for Kenny to grab and for anybody else to grab. But I think there's a better case that Lamos versus Watterson should have been a TKO win for Amanda Lamos. Now hear me out. Kevin McDonald did not see the tap. Amanda Lamos celebrates. Watterson acknowledges that, you know, she tapped. Referee calls it off. Referee doesn't see the tap. That is basically a TKO loss because the referee it, it is not actually acknowledging the submission at the time. So that should have been a, a, a TKO loss. But, but listen. Well, no, and, and that one point. might be more semantics, but I will say I saw Michelle Watterson Gomez after the fact, and Kevin McDonald told her to keep fighting at one point in time, and she wasn't. She said, no, it makes it a TKO loss. That makes it Very a You can't submit. Verbally, when there's nothing going on, that's a TKO loss. But again, again, it's semantics here. I'm sure the gamblers that bet the gamblers that bet on Lamos by TKO are mad right now because they would have liked to, to cash that one. But the ones that bet on her by submission Kenny, are angry. Kenny, what do you think about that? I, I was going to say technically that's what it should be, actually, right? If the referee didn't see it at the time. Now, I mean, are we using replay to to get that done? But he, because there was technically a tap, but the referee didn't see it. And so yeah. I don't know. I think that's a interesting argument, uh, Aaron. Yeah. So I don't really have a problem with that. Yeah. All right, I AP, mean, what do you I didn't put it out on Twitter because people would have crushed me. I would have been <laughs> taking yeah. all kinds of uh, hit, all kinds of social media shrapnel for that one. But uh, yeah, that was my two cents at the time. And on the it main event, be fun. my friend, what do you have for us on the main event as far as uh, the end of the fight? And I guess ultimately how the UFC should proceed now. Well, this is the thing. Everybody's saying, who should be next for Volkanovsky? What are we going to do in the featherweight division? And Hey, I'm guilty of this too, but we need to just take a step back here. There's so much that can happen between now and the time that Volkanovsky is going to compete. You know, Volkanovsky's unable to train basically until October. So the chances right. of him fighting this year are pretty nil. Like it's, it's very unlikely unless they're going to throw something together really quickly. I don't think we're going to see Volkanovsky again in 2022. And then 2023 rolls around. We've already had, in October, announced this past weekend, Charles Oliveira 
taking on Islam Mahashev. Dana White has said, if Volkanovsky wants to move up the lightweight, I'm I'm all ears. So why are we mm-hmm. rushing here? Like, it, I mean, Josh Emmett can make a case. Yair Rodriguez can make a case. You got two guys that are undefeated in the uh, the rankings in Mosar Evloev and Bryce Mitchell. There's just a lot of players right now. And not to mention, the dark horse here is kind of Henry Cejudo. I mean, why not let Henry Cejudo try to make a case to win in a third weight class? So I don't really know what you do. If you're going to make an interim, you could do Yair Emmett. You could do Cejudo versus Emmett. From what I understand, Yair and Cejudo are pretty close, so I don't know if they'd want to sign the papers for that one. Cejudo probably has more options than to just sign that one. But I, I just think that we need to kind of wait for the dust to settle a little bit before we jump to a conclusion about who should be number one. Now, if you're going to ask me who I think has earned the shot, I think it's Josh Emmett. Unpopular opinion. But if people are going to be like, well, you got to give Yair Rodriguez credit. you, you got to give him credit. It's a win. He, 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 he adjusted the arm of Brian Ortega in a way that injured him. But at the same time, Josh Emmett beat Calvin Cater. You know, people can say it was a close fight. Yeah. But there was no decisive win for Calvin Cater in that one. Like, that wasn't a right. robbery. That right. was maybe right. a, a mix of opinions. Right, right. I guess I believe at times, though, that the durability thing swings both ways when people want to say, hey, man, you should pay for your perceived lack of durability. Or, you know, I mean, people certainly love banging on Sean O'Malley when, you know, his leg falls apart in the octagon. You know, I feel bad for uh, for all parties involved um, and we'll see what they do. But I guess the short answer to your question and you're not blind to this is that ultimately you're looking for 24 title fights a year in a perfect world. If you're looking for two on 12 pay-per-views or so, right. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that you'd like to headline a UFC fight night strategically, maybe once a year with a title fight. So I think that's part of the issue too, Aaron is you need title fights and you have injured champions in a lot of divisions. So to have an interim featherweight championship on the line in December um, might make promotional sense is all. Yeah, and I also think that if the UFC is planning on going back to Mexico, that's the time you do it. You headline with Yair Rodriguez for an interim title. I think that that, from a promotional standpoint, would be a very, very wise move to bring the promotion back to Mexico since the pandemic you know, hasn't been back, of course, since, what, 2019 or 2020. Right. I, I think that's the move. All right. We got to get into the uh, Shane Burgos and Charles Jourdain scoring. I don't know how soon you populated in here today, but I did talk to Mike Bell after the fact, and I I find him to be uh, a great man and and an elite judge. And he was the one who had a 10-8 for Shane Burgos in round two, but then he didn't come back with a 10-8 for Charles Jourdain in round three, which I suggested he should have done. Um, I don't know how suggestive I was on the air, but when I saw him in the hotel lobby, I softly said that, and he sort of acknowledged that he probably should have done the back-to-back 10-8s what are your thoughts on all that? All right. Well, here's a question for you. And I, I'm the Canadian here. So believe me, I love Charles Jordan. He's one of my favorite guys to talk to in the sport. Brilliant, brilliant kid. But who was closer to finishing the fight? Oh, Burgos I thought in so. round two with a neck crank or Jordan with the volume in round three? Um, I mean, ultimately, Burgos lands four strikes in the second. But he's, he's cranking on that neck of Charles Jordan to a point where – the ref's checking on him. The ref's saying, are you still in this? Right? Like, the judges see that, and they have to make uh, they have to make a decision right there and then about how compromised Charles Jordan is in that moment. Because people will say, oh, well, look at how well he performed in the third. Obviously, he wasn't that compromised. The judge has submitted his scorecard. The scorecard's gone. Right, He's right, thrown right, the paper right. Right. It's gone. You can't get it back. You can't ask, hey, can I get that score back? I right. thought he was more compromised than he is. Exactly. There's none of that. So I, I, I get the 10-8 scorecard. Listen, 
would I have also scored 10-8 for Jordan in the third round if I scored 10-8 in the second for Burgos? Maybe. But at the same time, I didn't score any of those rounds 10-8. I thought that uh, I personally agreed with the two other judges that gave it a 29-28 for Burgos, even though, again, you can make a case for Jordan in the first. It was a close, close round. If you're looking at striking and damage, the second half of that round was Jordan's round. The first half of that round was Burgos's round because he had that another deep submission attempt, right? So... I think people are kind of making much ado about nothing here, to be perfectly honest. I don't think a 10-8 scorecard is outside the realm of possibility in either the second or third round. I'm curious to talk to you in a few weeks after this judging seminar to see, because you're going to be one of the more knowledgeable, informed people to ever walk into that setting, right? And I'm curious the extent to which your mind will be opened. And if you will, after that, um, feel like you would actually be be more generous or liberal with your 10-8s after that course. So, But I guess that's not a conversation for today. Um, what are you thinking about when you're watching Matt Schnell and Sumu Darji do all that live? Oh, I thought it was over. Like, I thought Sumu Darji had beaten him. I, I'm saying, why aren't you stepping in here? I mean, the guy was out on his feet. Lucky for him, he didn't go down. If he would have gone down, that fight's over. But he, he managed to stay on his feet, but he was completely on. He was on skates. Like, yeah. that's just pure muscle memory that allows him to get a win like that. Right. But I mean, that's the round of the year, I think, by far <laughs> right now. Like, I mean, the, the, the runner up would probably be Gaethje Oliveira, but that was just such an unbelievable round of mixed martial arts to sh- and su- such a great display of the, the human spirit that Machinel was able to come back and get a win under those circumstances. Just absolutely unbelievable. All right, I want to talk to you guys briefly, if I could, about the main card opener. Kempo, we'll start with you. It was the UFC flyweight debut for Misha Tate. And, uh, you know, I guess a humbling moment for her in some respects. She was so confident during during our fighter meeting and throughout fight week and sort of saying, you know, I've been an elite athlete my whole life. Lauren Murphy didn't really become an athlete till she was 24. Like, I can't lose this fight. I'm not losing this fight. And largely she was dominated by Lauren. Kempo, we'll start with you. Uh, a healthy Lauren Murphy was a real problem. I think the Elevation fight team changes have really paid dividends. This is as good a performance as I've seen from Murphy in years. Your thoughts on uh, on all that? You're muted, my man. Love you, though. Nice beard, though. Sorry about that. This was a tough one. You know, Misha looked like she came in tremendous shapes. It seemed like she was saying the right thing. She was very confident. Um, I-, I thought she was going to be the, the better fighter out there. But, you know, uh, again, a, a focus of mine as a martial artist was trying to be was trying to be as technical as possible. Um, but the reality is that doesn't always guarantee results. Even if you are the better fighter or more experienced fighter, that doesn't mean anything on fight night. And to me, the difference was um, really the, the mental attitude uh, of the two fighters. Misha, to me, and I tweeted this, Misha looked like she was sparring and Lauren Murphy looked like she was fighting. Uh, and again, I don't know if it was Misha just kind of, you know, just kind of throwing shots out there and every once in a while there'd be a nice shot that she landed. But to me, I don't know if she wanted to be there. Uh, and, and again, she's not necessarily known for her striking. Right. But I don't know. Her wrestling seemed off. She wasn't committing to any of the techniques out there. Um, and I, I don't know if there was an injury involved or just mentally she didn't want to be there. She doesn't have it anymore. But to me, it was a more determined Laura Murphy who was moving forward, who wanted to go out there uh, and, and impress. And she seemed hungrier. Um, and, and she came she came there to win. And Cody Merrow uh, was all over that one. He, he was really high on Lauren coming into this one and told everybody that he was going to win. I, I was uh, 
a little doubtful of it, but Lauren Murphy proved myself and a lot of people wrong. And it was great to see because Lauren uh, is just a sweetheart. She's, she's a, she's a great person uh, and got, you know, one of the biggest wins of her career for sure. Cody probably sent three dozen texts over however many weeks after the fight got delayed that Lauren Murphy was going to win this fight by decision and everybody at the house. So great job on that, Cody. Um, AB, I guess I would like your thoughts. I agree with everything that Ken Flo said. I mean, in terms of Misha Tate in defeat, Lauren Murphy in victory, and ultimately Misha Tate in this new weight class moving forward. Well, I like Cody. Thought it was a total dogger pass situation based on the odds. Like, I don't know how you can make yeah. Misha Tate a minus 220 favorite over one of the best flyweights outside of Valentina Shevchenko that we've seen, really, because Lauren Murphy has been running through opponent after opponent in this division. She has proven herself at 125. And, I mean, Kenny, you've cut the extra 10 pounds when you were moving down from 55 to 45. I don't, exactly. know, how, how, I don't know how that affected you on the night of the fight, how much harder that was for you if you were more sluggish. Horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. That's, that's what yeah. I'm thinking. I'm thinking it was horrible for Misha Tate because that's not something that she's accustomed to. She's already 35 years old. She's had two kids. I mean, to put your body through that, you know, if you're, if you're a female fighter that's done, had to go through all of that in their life in terms of the bodily changes, like, that's, that's a lot to handle. And then to face somebody as good as Lauren Murphy, like, that's a very, very difficult task. So I, I think instead of saying Misha was off, we can just say that Lauren Murphy was Lauren Murphy. She is who we thought she was. She's good. I yeah. mean, she, she fought for the title recently. She, she says that she wasn't feeling well going into that fight. You know, things happen before a fight. It can happen to anybody. But she was on yesterday. Yeah. She was There's on. No and I mean, I think that Misha Tate needs to go back, probably back to 35 and see what she can do. But at the same time, since Misha Tate's come back, she's won one fight against Marion Renault, who said it was a retirement fight. She was in her mid-40s. How many women right. in general fight into their mid-40s? I mean, right. maybe we were giving Misha Tate too much credit going into this fight as is. Yeah, I definitely think she had a different energy about her in the Renault fight. Perhaps it was a smaller octagon. Perhaps it was the opposition. Um, a lot of things at play. All right, Aaron Bronstetter on social media, at Aaron Bronstetter, TSN MMA reporter, reporter to the stars. Before I let you go, uh, a couple weeks away, you going to be in Dallas? I'm going to be in Dallas. I'm looking forward to it. I love it there. Great beer, great food, great city. I mean, am I allowed to ask you if you have a lean on Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena? I know sometimes you do offer up your uh, your your plays to the masses. Well, I'm going to be doing some research on that this week because I'm putting together a piece for Sports Center on champions that defend a title after um, when there's an immediate rematch, and I think the stats will overwhelmingly point to the person that is the champion, the sorry, the defending champion, overwhelmingly retains the title. I mean, we saw it in two situations with Frankie Edgar, once when he was the champ and once when he was uh, trying to get the title back from Benson Henderson. I, I think it's going to be a really interesting fight. I, I, I'm very eager to see what Nunez looks like moving away from American Top Team to her own gym. I think yeah. Nunez on any given day can beat anybody, can knock anybody out. I just think that if you're getting underdog value on Juliana Pena based on what we saw in the first fight, that's probably right. the way that I would go. Yeah. All right, my brother, Aaron Bronstetter, appreciate the time. As always, great to see you on the show. And uh, we'll have you back in a few weeks if you'd be so inclined uh, after the Niagara Falls stuff. But uh, great stuff as usual, my man. And uh, best to you and the family. And uh, we'll see you in Dallas, if not sooner, brother. Yeah, anytime, my dude. Enjoy some steak tips in the hub for me. Thank you, brother. There he is, Aaron hey, Bronstetter, hey, with us here on the Anik and Florian podcast. We still have a few items to get to Um on this UFC fight night card on ABC. And so, uh, you know, I think I'm going to bring into the conversation because I know he's here on a Sunday on the screws of 1 p.m. Eastern. Put him yes. in the middle. He got his hair. Ha! 
Excuse me. Sorry, sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry about that. I'm ill-prepared. Hey, what's going on? Let me center myself up here. Haircut, yeah, center yourself up. Hopefully, hopefully for the video, folks, you'll become progressively less blurry as this continues. But yeah, you are holding up right several okay, $100 bills. Okay. And $100 maybe you want Kenflo. Does he look blurry to you? He, he's getting a little better, oh, but he was sharper. definitely blurry. Yeah. So okay. you got a haircut. All of you, got a haircut, haircut. yeah. Yeah, yes, it looks sir. great. How often do you get your hair cut? Whenever my wife says it's time to get it cut. I mean, I have a good head of hair, and it's so funny because I work with guys who are very bald, and they're jealous of my hair, and I just I don't really care about it. I yeah. let her do her thing. She came up to me and said, it's time to get a haircut. I said, okay, it's time to get a haircut. Let's yeah, fucking do it. Great. Yeah, I Thank you, maybe, man. Uh, Thank you. You move it up a week or two and get it done every three weeks. <laughs> Ren Longo also last night uh, – Last night we were at uh, Longo Weidman MMA. Cody and I were with yes. Ray and Bruce Buffer, and Ray uh, unsolicitedly suggested that uh, you look pretty good hitting a heavy bag. Yeah, I, 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 I was. I've been boxing since I was eighteen, and then I couldn't afford an MMA gym because there's not a ton in Cincinnati. And then right. finally, I made a deal with my mom. Let's go have. And then the Rich Franklin gym's like, I had a 1989 Nissan Maxima. I'm, I'm not making it to Rich Franklin's gym 45 right, minutes right, away. Right. So I went to the gym. That's where I met Chris Curtis. I went to the gym a, a little north of Cincinnati of me. And uh, yeah, me and my mom split it. You know, she she was very afraid of it and everything like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I have some hands. My, not too bad with the hands. Yeah. By the way, the Florian Martial Arts Center in Brookline, Massachusetts, relative to where it is in the world, is so reasonably priced. I just have to say. Like, you can't get it. anything. It's less expensive to get a month of jujitsu at the Florian Martial Arts Center than to get like a salad uh, at the It's Coolidge crazy. Okay. There's one down the street from me that's like 200 bucks a month. And I go, okay, can I get a key to the place? Because my hours are like kind of like, no, no, you can only come to the classes. I'm like, you fuck out of here. 200 bucks a month? And they're not producing anything? Come on. No, thanks. I'm not going to tell you what Longo's gym is per month. <laughs> well, I would, I would, I would pay up to it. If I was a... Listen, that guy's bred three champions. If I was in it, I'd pay up right. to a thousand bucks a month. Yeah, you know, I don't give a fuck. Let's get let's be a champion. All right. So um like to just touch on a few performances here with you and with Ken Flo before we move on to the picks for UFC Fight Night Blades versus Aspinall. Uh what a busy July. Five events, July second through thirtieth. Two pay per views uh for the combat sports leader. So the leech, Li Jing Leong. I mean, Ken Flo, we'll start with you on this man. Like, I think it's like his eleventh UFC win. Eight of them by knockout. A lot of big scalps on the resume of Li Jing Leung. We tried to set up the historical backdrop in terms of how much this win meant and the the history between these two guys. Um, dude, the leech man. What a great response to the Hamza Chimaev lost last October. What were your thoughts on that one? You can't let that guy stick around. Like if you have him on the ground, you got to put him away because yeah. you know he's going to come back and he's going to try to take your head off. Um, I, I was really impressed with the way that he was making those adjustments, just getting more and more confident. And you can see Muslim just start to lose a lot of that confidence. Uh, and and you, it was one of those fights where you could just tell that there was a huge momentum shift and it was only a matter of time. And it was only a matter of time. And Lee Jing Leung did what Lee Jing Leung does. Uh, and he went out there and, and got a beautiful finish. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's a beast. Uh, and I, I believe I picked the wrong fight on that one. Bri, Ooh. you got anything on the leech, my man? Yeah, he was he was my dog lock of the week. I kind of I was reading this card really well. I had a banner night. I thought the first round was gonna be kind of feeling out. Leach maybe fall behind a little bit, and then Leach was just start kind of picking it up. I you know I I didn't have him winning by knockout. I had him winning by decision. Twenty nine twenty eight. 
But then when he caught him with that big shot, I'm like, oh, it's over because the leech is nasty in there. That dude's he he hurts you. He's coming after you. And uh, yeah, nice dog money on him, man. I couldn't couldn't pass that up. It was it was a great performance by him. And we'll get to some of your other big winners. I know you had Matt Schnell by submission, Ricky Simone by submission, I believe, at 14 to 1. Um, yes, sir. You're a self-aware, kind, humble guy. But when you have a, a weekend like you Listen. did, you hit the slime ball parlay. We need to celebrate a little bit. <laughs> right. If I lose shit all over me, I'll take it. I deserve it. But if I win, let me gloat a little bit. Let me kind of, <laughs> you know, do right. something a little bit here. I'm going to take 30 seconds to acknowledge my strength and conditioning coaches, Rio and JC Santana at the Institute of Human Performance. Ken Flo knows these guys. He knows how JC has sort of set a foundation for functional mixed martial arts strength and conditioning. And when you look at what they've done with Gilbert Burns, you know, um, and you look at what they've done with Lee Jing Leong, there are a lot of fighters flooding through those doors. And um, they push the sled with a lot more weight on it than I do. But I just wanted to acknowledge my friends because that's a huge, huge win for them after their first training camp with the leech. Um, all right, let us get to Ricky Simone if we could, BP. Yes. I mean, this guy increasingly has got to be becoming like your favorite fighter's favorite fighter. Uh, Unbelievable. He is watchable as any fighter in the sport. He has been since day one. And if there were some who suggested he wasn't like top five material at Bantamweight, couldn't have done more with the Jack Shore showcase as he takes his O. Uh, Ricky Simone at 14 to one by arm triangle in round two, your thoughts. Yeah. So that was the last bet I made. I was so back and forth. My official pick on this podcast was Jack Shore. I picked him on my podcast. A lot of my buddies had Simone and I just, I'm sitting on Indiana. I was like, how is Simone going to win this? I mean, he's got big power. I said, I can see a club and sub. Let me see what the sub is. Cause Ricky uh. Simone arm triangle chokes. Brilliant. Guillotine's really good. That's what he caught Marabin, even though, did he really catch Marab? We, we can get on that road, but he's got good submissions. And I'm like 14 to one. Yeah, I can fucking put something on that. I'll put a little, I'll put a quarter on that. Let's go. And uh, yeah, so it hit. I couldn't believe it. I love the, uh, when he dropped him and got him top and he's raining those blows down. I'm like, dude, just I'm, I'm yelling at Jack short. Just turn around, take get, let him take your back. You don't want to get hit anymore. Let him take your back. And then, uh, and then he's that like kind of weird arm triangle where he'd even jump to the side. Kind of did it mounted, which just proves how fucking strong he is. He commented in the post fight, like that's what we've been kind right. of working on. A different kind of uh, the way I set my hands up. We don't need to jump to the side, and clearly it's death because Jack Shore's lights out on the ground, and I know he is hurt, but he tapped. You know, I mean, because there's nowhere to go. Kenny, you know I'm a broken record on submission offense, and a lot of these guys who do have a signature choke, like Ricky Simone suggested he does in his post-fight interview there with Daniel Cormier, but Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Fabio Scherner, and, you know, there are a lot of guys who who can't do the whole club and sub thing, and I don't plan my calls, but BP, I might have to steal that for a future club and sub victory. You should do print the shirt. Flow, like the ability of Ricky Simone, you know, to immediately get the submission, you know, it's it's a lot of what you would do. You know, I really believe with Clay Guida, a club and sub win, like, you know, the guys who can put you away with a choke like that when they have you injured um, are a real problem. If you're a ground guy, you need that go to submission, you know, um, from top or from bottom that, you know, if you get them in that position, it's over. Because, again, you don't want to face that guy like a Lee Jing Leong where you allow that person back into that fight. Um, you need those type of, you know, um, one and done type submissions in your arsenal. And, and clearly, uh, Ricky Simone had has that. Um, it was a beautiful, beautiful execution of that choke, which is often misinterpreted and, and not executed properly. He did a wonderful job, man. And he's a problem. He's like a, 
uh, a much upgraded version of a Clay Guida because he's going to be in your face all the time. He gets a little yeah. wild, but man, he can strike. He's got power uh, and he's super technical on the ground as well and dangerous there. So um, that's a tough fight for anyone. He's he's on a big time roll, man. I'm not going to fade that dude anymore. Yeah, I can't mm-hmm. wait to see who they choose to uh, match him up with. All right, congratulations to uh, Punahele Soriano, Bill Algio, Dustin Jacoby, Dustin Stoltzfus, uh, Emily Dakota. A lot of performances that uh, we don't have the opportunity to touch on today. We pay Brian Petrie by the minute. So uh, to that end, <laughs> let us get to the main event challenge. Petrie wins the week by $340. Um, so it looks like total in the positive for BP, $849.81. Ken Flo. Over five hundred nine dollars as well, so not too go. shabby. We have What's six the total. Total. We got to get those total. numbers. You know, What's I've passed that. Uh, I've passed that responsibility on to uh, our executive producer. So, uh, Cody, we'll throw come that at the uh, side there. No, Three picks, making you guys money. Can't complain. Can't complain. Right, <laughs> we got six picks? selections today, which means thirteen for you boys over the last two weeks, and we appreciate the legwork on that. Uh, let us begin with Volkan Uzdemir, who is a minus 150 favorite on DraftKings Sportsbook against Paul Berju Craig, who is plus three, plus 130, I should say. Uh, Uzdemir went the distance in a loss to Magomed Ankalaev last October in Abu Dhabi. His last win uh, split against Alexander Rakic. That was back in 2019. Still appears like the motivation is there for Volkan Uzdemir, Bry. On the other side, Paul Craig on a serious roll, 5 0 1, spanning his last six. Hasn't lost in more than three years. Your thoughts on this one at light heavyweight? Such a good matchmaking because both these guys lose by the other way. You know, the other way the person fights. Vulcan typically gets submitted, and Paul Craig gets overrun by like big power punchers. That's usually what happens. Right. So it's perfect. But how are you going to fault uh, fade Paul Craig? The guy is uh-huh. just. I mean, even you know what he's going to do, and he still gets it. Vulcan knows me. Has been submitted a few times. Paul Craig. I know he's got the triangle, but he's also got. Other um, ars- uh, submissions in his arsenal as well. He's good everywhere. Obviously, off his back is, is special, but um, you know he can strike a little bit. He's tough. He's big for the division, and I think Volkanovski might be struggling with a little bit of confidence right now. He got a jump early. They fed him the DC pretty early, and yeah. uh, you know, and he's still trying to balance that out. Like I got a title shot. I got knocked around by one of the greatest of all time, and then they've been feeding him some really hungry guys. I mean, he debuted. I mean, Yuri debuted against him, and we we've seen what Yuri's been able to do. But I can't I can't fade Paul Craig. I won't do it. Uh, you know, plus one thirty. You know, for and yeah. then you're going to hammer the submission prop as well, which I bet she's not even. Well, it might be a plus money, but I mean that's where everyone's going to be running. Um, right. But yeah, give me Paul Craig for sure. Ken Flo, you ever see the Saturday Night Live skit with Mike Myers? I've said this on the air before. Sometimes it falls on deaf ears. But welcome to all things Scottish. If it's not yes. Scottish, it's cup. Man, these Scots hate when you call him Paul Craig or even Craig. I guess Craig is. It's Craig. That sounds Craig. Good. You like Craig um, and that underdog money, Ken Flo or Ozdemir? Ozdemir. I, I do. I do like Craig. Um, <laughs> I, I think. I think you know, submission wise, uh, he's an anomaly in the two hundred five pound division. There's very few guys that are, are that dangerous with their submission game. Um, and and again, just like Brian said, it's like you know what he's going to do. It's you still you get caught in, in, in a triangle or an armbar. So. I think that, um, you know, he's going to have to drag Uzdemir down to the ground or or maybe Uzdemir foolishly tries to look for a takedown here. He's going to have to win this on the feet. I, I don't see this one going to the judges. I, I either see uh, Krieg uh, getting knocked out or Uzdemir, uh, you know, getting getting it. submitted. But, uh, 
Yeah, I I, I can't go against uh, the Scott uh, here either. I, I think he's got a good shot of making it a, a big scrap, making it nasty. Uzdemir, um, you know, falls into the ground and, and gets submitted with something. So let's go for the Scott. Looks like Petrie, by the way, is up four hundred and fifty-two dollars on the year, but. These numbers okay. are telling me you're both over six grand on the year, which sure as fuck can't be right. <laughs> Maybe it is. I know you guys have been on fire, but Jesus Christ. We've been Let's picking go. pretty Evan good stuff. Ken Flow and no, I, I we're, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're picking good stuff. You guys are money. Um, all right. Molly McCann minus 360. She's been a pretty big favorite at times in her career. Minus 500 against Deanna, Deanna Belbitza. Um, Hannah Goldie is the opponent here, plus 295. McCann's won a couple in a row. About as easy to root for as it gets. I love our fighter meetings with her. She's so thoughtful. Um, Hannah Goldie coming off a win over Emily Whitmeyer last September. She ends a 10-month layoff here. She will do so on the road against Molly McCann. Brian Petrie, you going chalky with McCann, or you see any value on Hannah Goldie? I mean, there's definitely some value on Goldie. I think, you know, her contender series performance was good. She hasn't really shown in the UFC, although she's coming off a nice armbar over with Emily Whitmire. She's bricked up. I mean, the girls got the ladies got some muscles on her. But Molly McCann, she's so infectious. If I ever, you know, I want her as a teammate. She's out there hooting and hollering when, when her, her uh, uh, teammates are fighting. She's awesome. She got to deal with Barstool Sports just because her personality is so infectious. And she's coming off one of the best knockouts, you know, in women's history, that spinning back fist or elbow. Uh, to Louisiana Carolina, which was unbelievable. Molly's just a bulldozer. I mean, Meatball McCann is, she'll go in there and she's tough. She's tough to put away. Um, you know, take down the fence and uh, uh, for, has been kind of plaguing her at least early in her career. I feel like now she's adding takedowns to her own game, which is kind of rounding everything out. But she's a scrapper and a banger. She'll talk to you in there. She'll throw down with you. Um, the price is really high. I think I'm going to get a better price if I look for Molly by finish, which could happen. Um, even though Hannah Goldie hasn't been finished in UFC and she's very durable, Molly's Molly's tough. Give me meatball here. Um, the number's high though, but give me meatball, baby. Can't flow McCann Goldie. Who do you like? Yeah, I think there's val value on Goldie for sure at these odds, but um, I think Molly McCann um, is going to be a little bit too much. She, she's she's a hurricane, man. She comes at you. She's going to throw everything uh, at you. Um, I, I think Hannah's uh, lack of experience. Um, it, at that level, lack at that level of experience, it's going to be. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be too much for her uh, to deal with that uh, level of chaos. So I like uh, Mylon McCann here as well. Less than ten pro fights for Hannah Goldie coming in. All right, next up, Nikita Krilov minus one ninety against Alexander Gustafson, who is plus one sixty. Krilov, a near two to one favorite here, despite having lost three of his last four. But, of course, for Gus, last win came against Glover Teixeira more than five years ago, 2017. He hasn't fought since a submission loss against Fabricio Verdum, and that was in his heavyweight debut essentially two years ago, BP to the day. Your thoughts on Gustafson here against Krilov? Matt, I like Alexander Gustafson. I mean, I, it's weird that he went away. I mean, I get it. He was getting some wars. He thought he maybe he was burnt out. And, again, I've always said if you're not in it, you step away. And, you know, I'm surprised to find out he's only 35 years old, and I'm really surprised to find out Nikita Krilov is only 30. That guy feels like he's been around yeah. since 92, which is crazy. Right. Um, and, and I really want to take a shot on Gustafson in here, but I just can't. I think Nikita Krilov, I think being active in MMA and being in there and the timing and just the speed of everything and the physicality of the sport really helps people. Even though he's on a losing streak here, Gustafson's coming from a great, great training camp, uh, the All-Stars over there in Sweden. And I just don't know if, if his mental is there. I mean, the, the Fabrizio Redoom fight was, was very just – it wasn't Gustafson. It wasn't what we've seen before. You know, the Glover to Sarah fight, which you mentioned was five years ago. Amazing performance. I mean, he was so light on his feet and he's his uppercut, his long range uppercut. So good. I just, 
Nikita Karloff, his biggest weakness is when you take him to the ground and submit him. I don't think Gustafson has that in his bag. I think I, I think it's going to be a stand-up fight. I think it's going to be close. I just think Gustafson just going to be a little off here. I think he might rally late in the third round, and but it might be a little too little too late. I like Nikita Karloff by decision. Yeah, Krilov's good, Ken Flo. I don't know if he's minus 190 good against Alexander Gustafson, but I also find it hard to get too predictive on Gustafson, especially not being there and not knowing what exactly his training has held. Um, you see any value, though, on Gustafson plus 160? Oh, absolutely. I, listen, I, I think he's a more technical fighter. I think he's a, a more dangerous fighter in a lot of ways than Nikita Krilov. But, you know, similar to, you know, the the Misha Tate and Lauren Murphy fight, um, it's hard to know what Alexander Gustafson is going to show up. Why? Because he's showed up for certain fights where mentally he didn't seem like he was in it. Or mm-hmm. uh, we can also talk about, you know, his long history of back injuries, which I've dealt with, which could really wow. um, stifle your ability to to have a good training camp or to go in there, um, you know, with all of your capabilities. So uh, I think Alexander Gustafson, just his height and striking alone will give a lot of people trouble. And he could go out there and look fantastic and, and get maybe get a TKO or knockout against Krilov. But I think Krilov is still hungry. Um, I, I think he's still pretty durable. Like he's, he's, he's mentally tough. He's going to yep. be there. He's going to be in your face. So it, um, the, a little bit too, uh, too much doubt on my mind for Gustafson um, to, to go that way. So I'll, I'll stick with Krilov here. No. All right. Next up, we will have Kenny Florian kick us off here. Patty, the batty Pimblet minus two fifty five, taking on the monkey God, Jordan Levitt, who is plus two fifteen. All right, you guys know the UFC history for Patty Pimblett. Couple of UFC fights, two first round finishes, two performance bonuses. Uh, and I've got to know him a little bit. I'm a big fan. Um, he's the real article. He's a really good human being. Uh, and I think he's got a fascinating matchup here against a pretty dangerous fighter in Jordan Levitt. Kenny, Patty Pimblett, Jordan Levitt, which way are you going? These have to be two of the most unique guys in the UFC facing each other. Like there's mm-hmm. no one like Jordan and there's no one like Patty. Yeah. And here they are facing each other, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, unique styles. Patty tends to get a little overly aggressive for my liking. Um, you know, he will literally lead with his chin out there, which is very dangerous, especially in that very stacked uh, division. So th- that's troublesome for me. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how good he is on the ground. I-, I think his position for sure, if he gets to your back, he is a finisher, man. It seemed like that's a really strong position for him. And I love that. Uh, if he gets Jordan in that position, I think it was probably over for Jordan. Um, but, um, you know, Jordan is, he's a scrambler, man. He's a tricky guy to deal with. He throws a lot of unorthodox strikes on the feet. He throws uh, a lot of unusual submissions and, and attacks and defenses on the ground, which can throw off even the more, most experienced guys at times. Um, and yeah, just has a very unique approach in general. Um, this is a tough one for me, but uh, I'm going to go with Jordan here. I, I think that um, he's, he's going to have an interesting approach that kind of throws Patty off a little bit. Um, I think for the UFC's, um, you know, for the UFC uh, brass, I think they would love to see Patty win. It would be it would be great to see him get that momentum going forward because I do think he's got, you know, some star potential there. Uh, but I, I think Jordan, I think Jordan gets it done here. Jordan Levitt, three and one in the UFC, Brian, ten and one overall. Yeah. Patty Pimblett has never been submitted, never been finished in mixed martial arts. How do you see this one playing out? Man, I I I love Kenny went opposite there. That's a nuts on your table fucking let's go bet right there. I rarely disagree with the flaw. I'm going to disagree with him. I, I was a fan of Pimblett 
um, the cage war days. I heard a lot about him, went back and watched all of his stuff. He has struggled with, you know, what Kenny talked about good as jujitsu is. There's obviously questions about it. He has definitely struggled when he's on the bottom. He's not a guy that excels off his back that well. He can get up very well, but he's, he's not very threatening. You know, Armandini took him down and just stuffed him. Um, but he's very good on top. And his, and I don't think his technique's great. I think his strength is great. I think he kind of muscles certain positions little times. I think that's why rear naked choke is kind of his go-to. Jordan Levitt kind of flows a little bit better on the ground. I heard great things about him in Vegas. But I think this fight's going to come up to the stand-up. I think Levitt might look for some takedowns. I think Patty Pimlet's kicks are really good. I think his hands are wild. His chin's in the air. I know he says, you know, scowls never get knocked out. But if you keep fucking throwing your chin up there, buddy, you're going to you're gonna get caught one time. I love Patty Pimlin. I'm a big Patty fan here. I actually thought this number would be way higher. After having the the week Saturday I had, I'm happy paying 255 for this. Um, I like Pimlet here. I like by TKO. I think it's going to be like maybe second round. Uh, it, you know, maybe he'll catch him with something, maybe a kick, and then finish on the ground for sure. I like Patty here uh, to get it done. All right, nicely handicapped on both sides. Now to the co-main event. Chris Curtis minus 130. Jack Hermanson plus 110. The action man stepping in here for Darren Till, who will be in his corner. Curtis open plus 140, as Brian knows all too well. He is now favored almost anywhere you're placing your bets or yes. extracting your lines. Uh, Hermanson, a lot of championship-level experience. He's headlined four times in the UFC, uh, and that includes a split decision loss in his last fight to Sean Strickland, February 2022 at the UFC Apex. We got the 30-footer for your guy, the action man, this weekend. Talk to me, DP. What do you got? So no, everyone knows who I'm picking. I'm going with the King of Combat. That was his original nickname, the King of Combat. I'm going Chris Curtis here. Um, I usually don't like getting to the X's and O's. I say that for Kenny because who the fuck wants to hear me talk about, you know, technique and everything. But this fight's very interesting because Jack Hermanson is very similar to Rodolfo Rivera, but he puts everything together. Vera landed a lot of shots on Chris because Chris's hips were back. He's waiting for the takedown. Rivera can only go uh Vera can only go striking or takedowns. He's never he can he can't mix them yet. He's not good enough. Jack Hermanson can mix them really well. Um, the problem is though, is I've seen him get boxed up before by Marvin Tory, Sean Strickland, his last two fights. He's very good on the ground, he's very heavy on top. I don't really think he's gonna be that big of a submission threat if he gets it to the ground. I don't think this is like a the floor is lava situation, like against Vieira, like Chris had. Chris was like, I'm not giving up a takedown on this guy. Fuck no, he stuffed 20 takedowns, which is crazy. I think Hermanson's going to kind of maybe push the pace a little bit, try to get in the clinch. And I can tell you from experience, Chris is very strong in the clinch. He's a naturally 170. That's where he spent most of, his, most of his career at 170. But he's a stout kid, not very tall, but he's a thick kid for 185. His yeah. head position in the clinch is great. I think he's going to touch up Hermanson's body here. I think Hermanson isn't going to shoot 20 times. I think after he shoots a few times, the Joker's going to be like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go. Because he does have some decent boxing himself. I think that's going to be the downfall. I like Chris here late. TKO, maybe round late round two, late round three. Uh, another good performance by the action man. I, I, I'm so excited. He's a co-man event. He's on the fucking poster, which I got to yeah. get. Uh, I'm excited for the guy. And, and I was texting him and, and, and his, and, or excuse me, I was messaging him and his uh, confidence is through the roof for this fight. So um, I got I got to take the guy for his work. Give me action, man. All right. Opportunity knocking for the action man. Ken Flo this weekend across the pond. Who do you have in the co-main event? You know, Hermanson's tough, man. I, I think he will most likely – he has different takedowns than Vieira, but I think he's yeah. more effective with his takedowns uh, than Vieira. And, and I agree with Brian that he does put it together uh, better than Vieira for sure. Um, 
you know, certainly doesn't have the submission game of Vieira. Why am I bringing up Vieira? Because I think it was a great fight to prepare him for yeah, someone like yes. Hermanson. And yeah. Chris, is, you know, tends to be feeding off of this momentum. I, I think he can crack, obviously. And Hermanson sometimes gets caught watching uh, his work a little bit, stays in front of him. You don't want to do that against someone like Chris Curtis with that kind of power. And I think Chris Curtis is going to unleash a little bit more. I think he wasn't throwing a whole lot of volume because he was respecting Vieira so much on the ground. Um, and I think he's going to be a little bit more free to throw hands. Uh, I like Chris Curtis here as well. Great point. Well, I, that brings <laughs> up to the main event at heavyweight. Tom Aspinall minus 135. Curtis Blades, the plus 115 underdog. So Aspinall 5-0 and in the UFC. I love Curtis Blades. I hope he fights for the title one day. I've spent much more time with Curtis than Tom Aspinall, whom I met recently. But I guess since I don't have to make a pick and I'm not calling the fights, I would submit to you guys, I don't know how you fade Tom Aspinall in current form. I understand Mm -hmm. this is a tough matchup. Uh, Some might argue as tough as any in the division for Aspinall. I guess, Kenny, I just think you can find better options on the board than betting against Tom Aspinall, given his momentum and given all of his skills. Um, He's a slight favorite here against the credentialed Curtis Blades. Ken Flo charged with leading off the main event. You go on Aspinall or Blades, my man. Yeah, listen, I'm curious to see what Aspinall looks like if he's on his back for um, an extended period of time. Uh, And I'm curious to see what he looks like, um, you know, if this goes into the fourth and fifth rounds um, and he's had to deal with someone like a Curtis Blades on top of him. Um, Will we see that? I'm not sure. I think Aspinall is a special kind of athlete uh, in that division. Um, and I think that, uh, he's a big time threat on the feet as well. Um, I, I would like to see him pace himself a little bit more. Sometimes I see Aspinall, uh, have a pace that I don't think he can sustain for 25 minutes. That's a concern for me heading into this fight. Uh, Curtis blades does have a lot of experience. Um, and I think the way he wins this fight, uh, yes, anything can happen on the feet with heavyweights, but I think the way he wins this fight is by taking Aspinall, Aspinall down, and, and grinding out the win, tiring him out, and then maybe later on looking for a TKO. Uh, but I think Aspinall is a good enough athlete, and he's a little too dangerous, both on the ground and on the feet, to let that happen. Uh, he's got a ton of momentum behind him as well. Um, and I like Aspinall, and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Aspinall uh, get the win by TKO or, or, or just straight knockout. Brian Petrie, the floor is yours. It's yeah, Kenny hit on a lot of Kenny hit on Kenny hit on a lot uh, of points that I was gonna make. You know, the pace is a big thing. He kind of rushed against Volkov a little bit. Um, and and it just seemed like he got a little wild. And I want to see a little more measured pace because if you get a little wild in there, you're gonna get you're gonna get put on your back. And you know, Aspinall came from a jiu-jitsu background. We've never really seen much besides the Onlowski fight where he took his back and submitted him in that second round. So there's a lot of questions, and obviously the five-round cardio. He looks to be in phenomenal shape. He's leaned out since his earlier days. He looks to be in great shape, but this is such a confidence fight that to accept this fight. I don't know who his managers are. He could have probably got a different fight at heavyweight. They call for Curtis Blades. or like, we've got Curtis Blades in London. They could have, his manager could be like, well, can we look for someone else? Because this is a tough matchup and, you know, we're trying to build a star here. Tom Aspinall goes, fuck it. Yeah, let's go. That's a confidence yeah, fight right yeah, there going, yeah. you know what? I can beat anybody. I'm going to have to fight this guy anyway. He's only lost to two men in the whole world. I'm going to have to fight him anyway. Why not do it on my home turf where I have a little yeah. bit of, you know, um, some guys could really, you know, um, shine up in those points. And I like Aspinall here. I think he's going to be a lot more patient on his feet. And Curtis Blaze is a big boy. I saw him fight in Columbus when he walked out, and I went, whoa, this guy is, yeah. is enormous. Aspinall, 6'4", he's a big kid too. 
Um, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And uh, I'm excited for this. This is a heavyweight fight. I'm, I'm really pumped for when this got announced. I'm I, I'm through the moon through the moon with this. I think if Asmal wins and he wins in devastating fashion, I think literally maybe he could leapfrog. I mean, really depending on what John Jones does, he could leapfrog somebody. And I know Naganyu's out, but we got a star yeah. here, boys. We got a star. Yeah. We got an action kid in the, you know Europe and England. They always support their guys. But I like Asmal late TKO. I think Blades is going to slow down, especially if he looks for some takedowns. Um, I like a like Kenny said, either clean knockout or or a drop and then finish on the ground for Aspinall. And I certainly did not intend to wear Curtis Blades' team T-shirt. Elevation oh, didn't even notice that this week. <laughs> yeah. I did that for Lauren Murphy actually, um, but uh, yeah. Well, we'll see how it plays out in the main event. You know, I have talked to Cody Donovan, and Curtis has so much confidence in his hands. And you talk about the size, and I wrote down like. Dude, his hands are huge. I mean, huge. a lot of these guys don't like Leon Edwards. I've said on the show is a massive man. Hands aren't very big, yeah. you know, um, which can be telling, especially when you're grappling. And Curtis Blade's a beast. Right. Um, great yeah. main event, and uh, I'm excited to watch it uh, before the sun goes down here on the East Coast. If you want more from Brian Petrie, he's been absolutely crushing it uh, at Brian Petrie MMA. Uh, appreciate the time, kid. Best of Thank luck on you. the board, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, my man. Real quick, I was on Remember the Show with Jason Anik. Man, that guy's good looking. And uh, I didn't get to play the game. I just talked about Long Island. And they suggested Aaron Broadsetter as an opponent for me. I got a trivia mind. That dude's sharp as shit. Let's go, A.B. I'm calling you out, brother. A.B., I'm calling you out. Let's go. Let's do it. Oh, that's Let's happening. Do it. That's happening. I Let's love go. it. I want him. I want him. I respect him. I like him a lot. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Been a fan for him for a while. But you know what? You you start coming in that trivia world with me, bud. We're we're gonna go at it. I love it. Who wants it's to see not- trivia is finished? One fifty five. Get it, Kenny. Get it, Kenny. I love it. Oh, we're signing that contract. It's gonna be. I love uh, it. I want him. Petrie v. Broncheter. <laughs> yes. You're more a show staple. Increasingly, he is. But you get the red corner. Yeah. Petrie v. Yes. Bronstetter on Remember the Let's Show. And you know, Joe Silva liked when people would do his job. For him, so you just did the yeah. job for uh, Bilal Muhammad and Jay. That's Let's do it. Let's right, do it. Have All right, boys. Talk to you next week. See you, boys. And just maybe it'll be this Thursday. Brian Petrie and uh, awesome. Aaron Bronstetter on Remember the Show. All right, our final order of business: the Marrow Seconds. I got that. I was betting on Lauren Murphy, <laughs> Snoop Dogg. If your uh, audio only, Cody has a uh, hundred dollar bills draped over a pair of sunglasses <laughs> in his Harrison, New Jersey digs today. What's up, kid? Is that smoke I'm, in the air? No, it's just my lighting. I don't know. There oh, we go. That's better. Sure it is. No, but there was at UFC Long Island. I don't know if you noticed, but there was like a haze over the octagon the entire time. Like someone was vaping yes. up a storm in that. I turned to Paul Felder at one point. I said, it smells like East Coast cannabis. Just say it. <laughs> just say it. You know, some mid. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so Cody was in the building last night. I would like to thank Joanne Silva and Amber Bowen from the UFC for giving him a seat that said bench on it. He was like with the fighters and the Islanders bench. They took care of you, huh? Yeah, it was great. It was great. Different vantage point than I'm used to. So it yeah. was kind of spoiled. Now, now right, what do you have before? Uh, right. What do you have for us before we let Ken Flo get on with his uh, his day? Uh, well, I mean, so what would he rather be doing than spending time with us? <laughs> so that, I mean, I'll bleed out this time as much as I want, John. If he was there last night, I would have been crying, laughing uh, with some of those situations. Someday. Like going at the buff pretty good. All right, Cody. What do you got? Uh, UFC Long Island attendance was 16,979. And having been at UFC 276 a couple weeks ago, I thought the Long Island crowd was better. So Long Island really brought it. I thought it was a great event. Hopefully they can you know, come back to New York a couple more times next year. I thought it was great. 
Yeah, they were loud for sure. And uh, how about you going to two of the last three live events? Yeah, yeah. Miss yeah soft, soft bad. flex there, you know. Yeah. Uh, me and Matt Frivolo are sitting there watching the fights. But uh, uh, the spoiled part is – the steamroll now? Is that what you do? Yeah, was, yeah. That yeah. was now the bulldozer for both of there too or no? Uh, the cheese roller. The cheese roller was there. Uh, but anyway, so the vantage point that I had, just also I know we bang on this drum all the time. I I think the problem with judging is we just need to introduce more judging. And to, like let, let's start having like 10 times the amount of judges so we can figure out who's good and bad. Because from that vantage point, I don't know how you can get the fights wrong. Like it's it's such a different experience kind of being in that i mean you guys know better than i would being at the desk but it's it's a completely different environment than when you're watching at home or, or in the crowd further away yeah i would just submit to you that at least under the uh under a lot of these commissions as kenny knows it just takes a lot of training and a lot of amateur rounds phil baldacci is finally a judge in california longtime yeah, member kenny of the scrap pack yeah it's great um but 10 years of judging. So I see your point, Cody, and maybe we need to sort of lessen some of those restrictions. Phil's probably like, don't do it now. It took me 10 years to get certified. Uh, what else do you have, Cody? Uh, well, that's the thing. I'm going to try and become a ref just to get my mug on camera. Like, that's really all I want. I don't, people will talk about me all they want. You want to be a judge because the ref, oh, you want to be a ref. So no, I'll be a ref. I'll do both. I'll show up at the post-fight press conference at the least. I don't care what the commission said. I'll show up. But fight of the night, Schnell versus Sumodarji was fantastic. Performance of the night's. Lemos, Jingliang, Punahele, Ricky Simone, Bill Algeo, Dustin Jacoby. I wanted wow. to say that as far as female fights, mixed martial arts is concerned, I mean, the highest level that I've ever seen were in all three fights on UFC Long Island. So, like I said, just a treat. I thought I thought Murphy Tate was a very, very high level of martial arts. So that was a fantastic fight. Yeah, no, I uh, thought Emily Ducote looked very good in her UFC debut as well. And Penny showed a lot of toughness with that leg. So, yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah, and a quick uh, – so spinning it forward, UFC London, a.k.a. UFC prohibitive favorites. Uh, 14 of the fights, seven of them are wider than a minus 250, which, wow. I mean, kind of the case when you have the, these London fights. You know, you want to promote your guys and you want to, you know, get them some good fights, but pretty crazy. But I'm riding the high streak in the Lauren Murphy uh, sweepstakes here, touting the picks. Paul Krieg by sub, plus 230. Third active sub attempts in light heavyweight division. Seventh active subs per minute. Uh, he's two and zero in London, both finishes by triangle. All right. So plus two thirty, both big finishes number. by triangle in London. If you if your bookie will give it to you, the triangle for Paul Krieg All is right. the pick. All right, Cody Merrow with us for the Merrow seconds. I'm curious how he would handicap a matchup between Bronstetter and Petrion. Remember the show, but we got to get on out of here. Thank you to today's presenting sponsor, UFC Fight Pass, the world's premier combat sports streaming service with over 200 live events, the largest fight library in existence, original shows, and more. Sign up for one year and get half off for a limited time at ufcfight.pass.com slash sign up. All right, that is going to do it for today. Thank you to Ray Longo, Brian Petrie, Aaron Bronstetter. Don't forget our Anakin Florian podcast exclusive as we look back at Ken Flo's win over Alvin Robinson at UFC 73. We will have a new one coming up in the next 10 days or so. Remember the show live on this channel Thursday. AnakFlorianPodcast.com for your merchandise. You can also go to Millions.co, our city-themed limited edition designs for Dallas on the One More Sleep front are up. And KennyFlorianMartialArts.com for uh, all of his jujitsu essentials. With that, for Cody Merrill and Ken Flo, John Anik saying so long for now. Thank you all for indulging us, for watching, for listening, for subscribing. Please continue to do so. Hit that subscribe button. And we'll go off to the sky with this here fine program. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, yo, fuck it later.
Bronstetter's minus 200. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.